you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier. And today is a bit of a special episode because it's our second anniversary of recording the B2B Revenue Acceleration podcast. Uh, we have now over 10,000 downloads. Thank you very much, people, for listening to what we're doing. It's been a bit of time doing it, so it's good to have, uh, to have uh, people consuming the content. It's our 84th episode, and uh, the topic today is, is around the best strategies for B2B revenue acceleration. And what we wanted to do, we wanted to have a, a format slightly different from, from what we traditionally do, which is usually a one-to-one. And we wanted to invite some people that are some of them clients, some of them partners, friends, but people we've seen doing some great stuff over the last few years, just so they can share their best practices, mistakes, things they've seen in the trenches around the best strategies for B2B revenue acceleration. So before we get started, I'm going to ask uh, every single one of the guests to shortly introduce themselves. And we're going to start with Didi, please. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. And uh, my name is Didi Dayton. I'm a partner with Wing Venture Capital. We're based in Palo Alto and we're an early stage investor. In terms of my background uh, sales for many, many years, I'm very passionate about selling and love hearing some of the new um, ideas that are out there. I uh, was an operator for 20 years before joining Venture. And my focus area was in cybersecurity and in leveraging indirect sales and building out global sales teams. So very thrilled to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Nathan, do you you mind going next? Sure. Hey, um, so I'm Nathan Burke. I'm the chief marketing officer at Exonius. And this is my third uh, cybersecurity startup, my fifth startup overall. Um, I am a glutton for punishment or another way of saying (laughs) it is I love building things from scratch, going from idea to having a product in the world and getting out to market. So thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, Nathan. Tim, do you mind going next? Sure. Hey, great to be back again. Um, Tim Hoyt, I lead the global partners and alliances organizations for a company called Druva, venture-backed startup. I've spent my career um, running uh, sales organizations, both uh, domestically and internationally, half of that being over in Europe, half that being in the U.S., uh, publicly traded and privately uh, held companies. So appreciate being here and look forward to a good conversation. Thank you, Tim. Dan, do you want to go next? Everybody knows you. You are the co-host of yeah, the show. Sure. I've, uh, yeah, I've got a promotion to the co-host of, uh, of the B2B Revenue Acceleration podcast, I guess about a year or so ago now. Uh, I'm the VP of Sales Operatics. So I've been with the company about five and a half years. I guess I kind of stand for everything that the company stands for and that I've, I've been promoted right from the, from the bottom up. So. Uh, any of the programs that we're running uh, with companies like yourself, uh, Nathan, I was once upon a time doing that. Uh, and I'm now uh, obviously working closely with, with Aurelian on this podcast and, uh, and our company as a whole. Bob, do you mind going next and just giving us a quick uh, short intro as to, uh, as to who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm CRO of Obsidian Security today and I've been here for about eight, nine months. Prior to that, I was at Demista where I worked with operatics and uh, EMEA specifically. And uh, I've been in cybersecurity for 20 years or something like that, forever, feels like. But um, yeah, it's been fun. I've done every job from inside sales to field sales, channel, alliances, and obviously go to market leader as well. So kind of uh, understand how the sausage is made, so to speak. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Well, we've got lots of experience today, so that's absolutely wonderful. So thank you all for your introductions. Uh, We will have one guest that will... uh, that will uh, that will jump on the fly as uh, as we go. Uh, so when he comes on board, I'll uh, I'll ask him to introduce himself briefly. But today we really want to keep the conversation open, interactive, non-scripted, passionate, um, and and we really want to share with our audience some of the what you believe are your most valuable tips and experience of driving revenue growth within the B two B tech world. So it could be. Recent technique, it could be things that you're planning on doing that you just realize now, but you've not put in practice right away. 
But as we say, ladies first, so I started with you, Didi, for the introduction. So I'm going to start with you with the first question. And, and that question is pretty straightforward and simple, but at the same time, wide open. But, but from your perspective, what are the strategies or tactics that you've seen vendors implement being the most successful uh, at generating revenue growth? Well, I think this period of uh, a nationwide and global pandemic has served to teach us a lot. And um, when the going gets tough, the tough get creative. So what I've seen is this massive insurgence of creative thinking and a lot more flexibility from customers as well. So in terms of our startups, most of them are stretching their dollars and turning everyone into salespeople. Everyone in the organization is tasked with finding new opportunities and helping develop them. The, the key things they're doing to maintain focus during this period is to reduce their burn rates and to keep at least 18 months of cash on hand whenever possible, 12 months really at a minimum. They're leveraging you know, their VCs, they're leveraging their channel partners to reduce a lot of their capital expenses and, and you know, making sure that they're not using all their cash. So they're trying to keep that very close at hand. They're also leveraging shifting some of their teams. So for example, I saw one organization that turned their recruiters where they were previously hiring at a rapid pace they shifted their recruiters to SDRs. And I thought that yeah. was really interesting. Or where they're leveraging agencies to help them accelerate, you know, finding deals like operatics. And we've certainly worked together on, on several of our startups that have utilized you guys to find new deals and build pipeline. I'm also seeing from a customer side, a lot of use of artificial intelligence and automation to streamline cost savings and um, find ways of accelerating their new projects. And it's, a, it's also an era of new fiscal responsibility. So, you know, CFOs are approving everything and um, they're much more tactical in terms of what they're willing to do. The, the final thing that I'll, I'll just kind of close with is if you look at sales compensation, I think we're ready now for a whole lot more creativity. And everyone from the CFO down seems to be much more willing to compensate sales for driving the right behaviors instead of just looking at revenue from a binary perspective, you either win or lose a deal. It's much more now about the incremental steps that you can take to get your sales team focused in the right places. And most yeah. of that is around relationship building with your customer. And, you know, I know, Nathan, you're a CMO. It's really developing relationships is everything right now. And maintaining that relationship over time with your customers, finding ways of understanding them and being much more explicit about your account-based marketing. Um, for us internally, it's, about, it's been about doing individual-based marketing, if that's a term. So finding ways to motivate a single interaction and getting the most out of that interaction possible for both sides. Yeah. So that was a lot, but there you go. But as a result, I've got, I probably have a, a good thousands of questions to ask you there to, to, to dig into the detail, but I'm going to focus on the, on, on the main one I've got. So I, I, I like what you said about the involvement of the CFO. Uh, and, and we've seen that a lot. We've seen a lot of, uh, uh, you know, we work with lots of salespeople. I probably think that we've got uh, in total with all our clients, we probably have a good 2,000, 2,000 salespeople that we are servicing as, as a company, okay? And with that, you've got a, a bunch of them that are really good at creating the value and really start early in the cycle. They will go, they don't need to find an opportunity. They don't need you to find an opportunity. They've got 50, 100 key accounts to go after. They just want you to put them at the right level in front of the right people and then they will, they will create the opportunities. And then at the other end, you've got the, the, what I call the deal, the deal transaction of, you know, the, the, the people who just want to take the deal. And basically, they expect the BDR, they expect the SDR for, for what we do to really uh, almost provide them the, the, the opportunity on the golden platter so they can go and grab the, grab the purchase order. Um, and, and I would like to, to get your thoughts. And I don't know if you've seen that, but have you seen a lot of your a partner, client, some of the, the, the companies in your portfolio actually changing the steps of their sales cycle to, to start early or to try to grab a CFO while they are redoing their budget because since COVID happened, you know, it's a, it's a little bit crazy. The priorities were not priorities anymore. Maybe we've got new priorities. What do we do with our money? Do we invest? Do we not invest? I personally believe that for a salesperson, it's, it's, it's jackpot because people are finding out a new way they, are, they, they need someone to tell them what to do. So if you start at the right level, you should 
see that as a massive opportunity to actually go and create opportunity for yourself. Okay, but I, I, and, and it's not just a question for Didi, by the way, but have you guys seen people adapting to that? Because we found it really slow. And even to this day, today, we're still saying to some of our clients who are probably larger company, less startup say, well, you need to get your sales guy to go and sell. We can't find band qualified opportunities. You know, the needle in the haystack is even more difficult right now. So, um, so yeah, I just, just obviously to, to you, Didi, but to the rest of the group, that's kind of my long-winded question. I do see an amplification in the amount of selling that's going on and pitching. So there is definitely a lot more interest in, for us, uh, making connections, you know, into our customer base, but we're also being much more judicious about when we make those and how. What I will say for you is, you know, teaching a founder who's a very intelligent person, but typically an engineer to sell, mm-hmm. the first thing that we do is teach them not to talk about feature and functionality, but really now more than ever, because we're pitching into the CXO, is to focus on finding business drivers and really tailoring your message so that you're aiming for what will make them better, right? This is not about you finding a problem and trying to find a solution and, and pitch that. It's much more about talking about their business and aiming for what, what are the pain points in their business either to make money or to stop spending money and shifting a lot of that sales messaging around, you know, the CFO in particular doesn't really care about what your technology does. What they care about is selling more of what they do or spending less on getting to market, right? So those are the the things that I would recommend. Um, And that's what I'm hearing a lot is please tailor your messaging to our needs as a business, as opposed to pitching your solution as a feature functionality. Absolutely. Hey, this is Tim. I I think one of the things we've seen in particularly the past three months have um, amplified that significantly, but it's always been true, which is um, helping forge clear you know, economic linkages to business outcomes rather than the future functionality, and then make those direct correlations as well as indirect ones. And, and in order to do that, I think it's, it's important for the marketing organization to be tuning that, that message through omni-channels and through all the different macro touch points. And for a seller, whether you are a direct seller or a partner reseller, um, it requires more work, right? You have to take some more time to actually be proactively thinking about what is this customer, you know, situation they're going through based upon are they in an industry that's maybe been impacted? Do I have I known them for years and maybe I've got a chance to to help them there? But it requires a more thoughtful preparation. And then I think a huge part of it in selling is is the empathy or sympathy side is being able to. It, you know, make sure that you are asking questions and allow that person to um, share maybe a little bit more in these you know, unprecedented times that allows you to authentically, right, not ambulance chase, but authentically connect your value prop back to that economic linkage versus we can be faster than the other you know, tech provider or whatever the case may be in the future functionality. So I think we're seeing that a bit in our space, both directly as we go to market with end users, as well as through our indirect routes. And I think what where marketing function can also assist sales is that, you know, the feeling behind the question I ask is really around the fact that people are, the way I felt, and I've been in those conversations for, for, you know, pushing operatics and speaking to people about our services, people just telling us and say, well, what are those people doing? What are the, what is the rest of the world doing? And they are looking for that guidance of someone that can tell them, well, look, you know, I'm not going to speak about my product here for a sec. I'm going to tell you about what I'm seeing in the market. But instead of saying, well, this is people are just buying our stuff, you've got to almost play devil advocate and have an honest uh, uh, vision on, on what's happening in the market. And I think this is also what marketing can help with that story. Because while you've got the story about your product and obviously how you can help them, and you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward that, I guess, because this is what you were doing before, looking at the options and being able to weigh the options, being able to have that conversation, for me, is almost a conversation that a CMO would have rather than a salesperson prior COVID. And I think, you know, with COVID, you've got to be able to say, well, look, these are the three options that you can go for. You can do it yourself, you can use us, you can use one of our competitors, or you can just get a bunch of people offshore doing it for you, for example, okay? Let me take you through the, the scenarios. And we're going to speak. At the, in the meantime, you're going to tell me about your business and where you see. And that's where you learn from them. And I really think that... Uh, uh, creating that story 
creating that open story of not trying to sell to them, but actually really, truly, genuinely saying, look, this is bad for everyone. So let me try to help you here. And I won't push my stuff, but I will, I will, let's try to find what's the best solution for you. And being consultative, ultimately, get people to come back in your net. There is that reverse psychology thing where you say, well, you know, I may not be the best solution for you. Well, actually, that makes prospect likes you. So it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a technique that is starting from a very good uh, you know, mindset of trying to help and being consultative. But actually, what I realized through the process and, and working with clients and speaking with lots of clients is that if it's done in a very honest, kind of blunt way of we may not be the right solution for you, people actually respect that much more as someone who is trying to push something down their throat. And just to, I guess, to, to build on um, Tim's point uh, there around showing empathy and, and sympathy in some instances and, and trying to really lead with the value of the solution and tailor it to the prospects we're speaking to. I'd be interested to know your sort of thoughts on this, um, Nathan. I mean, from the perspective of how we sell at Operatics, we always talk about the importance of doing exactly that, not leading with the, the features and benefits, not leading with the functionality, but really leaving, leading with the value. And that's something that we've always kind of been proponents of. So I'm interested in your thoughts, Nathan, if you're saying from a marketing perspective that has actually shifted in recent times, or if that's something that you've kind of always been doing. Yeah, it's funny because two things on that. The first is, Everybody starts with what you just said. Everyone starts with feature function. They, like every single time, the first message is check out all of these features and, and you've got you've to rein that back. But from what you were saying earlier, uh, that's what I like to call selling the approach. And, and I really love that, right? So you've got, you have a problem. If you wanted to solve it, how would you do that, right? Let's, I'm just going to put an approach in front of you. Forget about my product, right? If you were to solve it, you would need to do these things. And here's one way you could do it. Now, if you buy into that approach, whether you're going to use my product to do it or you're going to try to do it on your own, that's what I love selling before we even talked about a product, right? So for what we do at Exonius, I say, all right, if you wanted to know everything about every asset, how would you do it, right? And I walk through, this is how we would build a, a solution right now. And does this make sense? Yes. All right, cool. So once I get you to understand our approach, that's the only sale I'm trying to do because I feel like if you agree with this approach, our product is going to do that. Um, so I won't even talk about the, the product until we've already agreed that this is an approach that makes sense for you. And, and I, it, it seems to work. And if you talk about product too early, it just turns people off because they're, they're sick of it. Yeah, I agree. And, and if you look at it, um, that as, a, an, as an approach, selling the approach, you, you mentioned you're a glutton for punishment across your, your five different startups that you worked at. So is this something that you've, you've always been doing or is this something that you're, you've seen as a, a shift in recent times or in, in recent kind of market trends? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that I've learned over time and it's, it's something that's evolved. And you know, I think that's part of you know, the, the overall strategy that, that I've developed. And, you know, the way I like to think of it is if there's, only, if there's one strategy that's worked for me for every company and part of it's reverse engineering, but then now it's, it, it's on purpose and, and planned that way is trying to figure out the, like the intersection between motivation and behavior. And I know that's super academic, but let me tell you what I mean by it so I can make it a little more, more tangible, right? So if you think of like the typical B2B lead to sale process, You've got someone that shows up at your site and they see a big like get a demo button. Now, what does that mean to them? It means I click that, salesperson's gonna hound me, I'm gonna get on a 60 minute call and they're gonna push a product down my throat. So it's a pretty high bar to click that button. And so, but what is their actual motivation? Their motivation is they've got a problem. They wanna figure out if your thing solves that problem. And so most companies, I don't know if it's many, but most companies, uh, they'll do everything they can to get somebody to click that button and talk to a salesperson because they want to sell them something, anything, right? So it means they're not providing answers up front. They're hiding everything behind the form. And they don't show the, the product. And so knowing that, like the behavior of the, the prospect becomes, you know, they're probably not going to do that until it's the, the last possible resort. And they're going to actually bail and go back to search and see if somebody else answers it for them. And so what can we do about that, right? So what are the tactics that you can use to, to counter that mismatch behind the, the motivation and behavior. So the first thing is we can show the product, right? So videos and um, in-depth documentation, all of those things. We can let them try the product, which is blasphemy in cybersecurity, right? Nobody lets you try the thing in cybersecurity, but we could do that. And then we could do things that are really creative. And I like what Didi said earlier, 
So we just tried something that we called uh, the invisible webinar. And the idea was, or invisible demo, whatever you want to call it. The idea was the bar is high to get on that sales call, right? So what if we did something where we showed exactly what you would see on a sales demo, but you don't have to sign up for anything. You can be totally anonymous. You can ask questions through chat, right? So the people that aren't quite ready, that aren't ready to say, I'm going to give you 60 minutes to sell me something, they can see what they would see on a real demo. So the, the goal is, if we show enough value, then you're going to sign up and talk to a salesperson. So to me, the idea is like always err toward removing friction, giving that prospect exactly what they need to make a decision. And to me, a no is better than just a bunch of dusty names in a database. Okay. Yeah, Love that. that. Makes perfect sense. I think that's a great strategy. Trying to get creative and also allow the customer to drive the conversation. So you're yeah. adding value and not forcing them to give information about themselves yeah. and forcing a, a sales follow-up because frankly, it wastes everyone's time. It wastes the salespeople's time too. And yeah. their time is just as valuable, which is why, or, or you know, I liked what you were saying about, you know, sometimes turning down the customer. That, yeah. that can be a, not just a tactic, but a real way of, you know, focusing on the customers that are relevant and where it's relevant to them. It's all about timing and finding the right message. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and curious honestly, what other things people are doing. Yeah. I was just going to say to your point, what is better from the sales perspective? Having someone that's already interacted with your product, already seen it, already experienced it, right? So we, we just launched our first like self-service trial. We did it really limited. And, you know, one of the first person, the first people that came through immediately got up and running, got set up. And then in parallel, someone else from their team asked for a demo. The two of them got together and now six people are going to be on the demo call from the original one. And they've already played with the product for a week. They've yeah. already um, saved queries. They've already done all of these like milestones that show us that um, they know what they're doing and that they've seen some value. How about that on a first sales call versus a, you know, here's our slide. We were founded in this year. We have this much funding. Like that is a totally different conversation. Yeah. So, so Bob, I'm, I'm just going to turn to you because I know that uh, at Obsidian, well, first of all, you, you, I can't really remember the, the exact award that you win, but I, I think you won the, the Sandbox uh, Innovation. Is that right? Uh, the Sandbagger award? award? Yes. So I think that's, that's pretty good. We, 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 not the Sandbagger, the Sandbox. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I also know through, through the work we do together that, that you guys are really quite straightforward about your solution. You give it out there for people to go and try it very confident about about the, the 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 outcome that they would get and and you know in in what you've built so what are your thoughts on all that and, and the conversation so far yeah i mean i was going to speak up uh, nathan brought up some interesting points you know it seems to be a perennial debate on when somebody asks for a free trial is it a lead for the inside sales team to interact with you know how much self-administration should there be you know do you let gmails and things like that in and you know, how, you know, do you want to qualify it? So product always, the engineering and the product side, you know, they, they want to kind of make sure that somebody's guided and, and no potential leads left untouched, that sort of thing. Sales wants to control everything and, you know, just give everybody a big bear hug and try to talk to them. So it's, 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 a, it's a debate on whether or not, how much self-administration should we have versus should we go ahead and just start attacking them with our sales awesomeness? So, that, I mean, it's an active debate internally right now. So whenever you've got half an hour, I will show you exactly how we came to the conclusion and how we built it. Because uh, we put a ton of thought into that too. And uh, this is like literally three days yeah. in to having it. So we're, it's brand new and we've put a lot of thought into it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I, I that first one come through was like magic. I love it. Look at you. Look at your smile. I love that. Oh, yeah. Well it's very passionate about it. There's <laughs> definitely some, some points called by marketing at Axonius. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and my previous company, Demisto, it was our number one lead source. And I think it kind of had more of the self-administration, you know, less sales awesomeness involved. And, um, but then again, you know, in the COVID era, everything's like so dear. When we get a lead, we just want to leg tackle it and, um, and, you know, polish it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just, yeah. So I'll definitely take you up on that, Nathan, for sure. Yeah. But, Nathan, uh, sorry, I've just been saying, Nathan, out of interest, you, you ran the invisible webinar. Um, I'm not sure when that was, but um, obviously contacts weren't, weren't making themselves visible. So have you seen any of those come to fruition yet, or is it too early to say from your perspective? 
So I'll tell you, it's too early to say because the first one was an abject failure because the, so I, I swear to you, and I, I shot a video and did it on LinkedIn, but I, I practiced this 15 times, no question, right? And the day that I went live, the, the stream just didn't work. It didn't work at all. So I had, you know, 150 or so people on the site and I could see them all saying, I think there's a technical problem. And so it didn't work at all. Um, but what I did is, so I ended up just putting, I, because I had practiced 15 times, I had actually recorded a run through. So I put the run through on and then I sent, you know, to everyone in the database, I sent a note saying, you know, this was a failure or whatever. Um, and we're going to do it again. And that was like a month ago. I finally you know, got over it and crawled out from under the, the covers <laughs> and said, let's, let's do this thing. Right. And figured out the technology. But a crazy thing happened, which is immediately I started getting emails from people that would never, ever answer my email before. And they were all pretty much the same. One part making fun of me, which is totally valid. Um, that's what you get for calling it an invisible webinar. It was, it was perfectly invisible. Like, okay, you guys got me. I'm going to change the name next time. But then it was, but you know what? Like this happens to everybody. Anyone is, that's been in technology for more than a minute has had something like this happen. And I'll check out the video and uh, tell me when you're doing the next one. And it was staggering how many people did that. And not only that, it, and I swear to you, I didn't design it the way. Not only that, we had more demo requests that day than any other day in the history of the company. That's and great. yes, some of them already turned into opportunities that were just a month ago. So yeah, I mean, obviously you don't plan to fail. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of it is in how you respond to it. But um, I think that's the other thing about right now is that I think people understand that there are going to be mistakes and that we're all kind of human right now and nobody's going to be perfect. I mean, every Zoom call you're on, you know, usually you'll see a dog run through here or a six-year-old or whatever, right? People are, are, are much more uh, willing to understand when things like this happen. But, but yeah, so I think that was a good example and we're going to try it again. I couldn't believe that there are that many people on it and I couldn't believe there, there are only people on it that couldn't see anything. So it was a blessing and a curse, but, but yeah, we're going to try it again um, in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I think it does work because exactly that, right? I want to see this thing, but I don't want to have to be part of a sales cycle yet. So just show yeah. me the thing. And then if the thing is enough value, then great. I'll bring a couple of people in. And you show them that you are human by making us late mistakes in, the, in not getting, getting it up in the first place, which is fantastic. You know, and those, those things work. And I agree with you. I think the, the people appreciate the fact that you try something new. I think that's also the difference. You know, when everybody is again throwing the same stone at them, everybody is throwing with the same thing, the same bait is there in emails, in, in LinkedIn, whatever you want. People just come and try to sell you something. When you see something... Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually... It's the one thing I've said... I was going to say, though, just on that point, the one thing I've said a bunch of times is the next time an, uh, a big hack happens, like a Sony or a Target, I want to just go over to the window and put your head out and put your ear out the window and you'll hear the sounds of a million PowerPoint decks updating because every yeah. single marketer <laughs> is going to say, we would have stopped the Sony uh, Target or whatever uh, breach with our technology. Like everyone's going to do that. Generation technology. To that. It's not yeah, just the next technology, gen. it's the next gen, right. it's the next gen technology <laughs> as a thing. Yeah. So we've got Pat. Pat, thanks for, for joining us. We know that you had a, a very important call. So uh, we really appreciate that you, you, you can come and, uh, and join us. Uh, we've asked all our guests to very briefly introduce themselves. So do, do, do you mind just giving us a quick, uh, quick interest to who you are, who you work with? Uh, and yeah, just a quick, who, who is Pat Conte? Sure, sure. Thanks, Aurelian. Great to uh, see you again. Hello, uh, uh, Katarina. Um, nice to see you too. And nice to see everybody. Yeah, my name is Patrick Conti. I'm the Vice President of Business Development for cybersecurity company Fortanic. But I've, uh, I've known Operatics for a long time uh, because I, I hired them a couple of times at my previous company, Hightrust, when I was running international business for, uh, for that company and global business development. Uh, so um, uh, let's see, a bit about me. Uh, this is my seventh startup. So obviously, I haven't learned my lesson yet, uh, <laughs> and I probably never will. Uh, and um, uh, I think as everybody on this call probably feels, your DNA changes at some point in time. And, um, you know, you're not exactly sure when that happens, but you certainly know it after it happens. And, um, you know, uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully uh, having uh, another successful uh, run here at, uh, at Fortanix. And in fact, Fortanix, uh, unbeknownst to me, already started working with you guys uh, in Europe. And now we're going to expand into the U.S. 
and doing some initiatives. So uh, wow. I'm very glad to see that, and uh, and uh, I think it's think it's uh, well well learned on your all's part. It's uh, it's done making uh, taking advantage of our relationship, Pat, without letting us know. I'm going uh, behind my back to speak to Fortinex. My go should have been mine. But uh, yeah, thanks. well, you know, uh, one one of us owes each other some drinks, Aurelian. So uh, we'll, we'll probably just, uh, me we'll to you. To <laughs> <laughs> the last time we did that, he ended up in a quite a yeah dangerous situation. But there you go, another, another one. So, so, so just coming back to, to you, Bob, very quickly, I mean, is there anything that you've seen? So, so, so I know that you guys have been doing lots of fine tuning also at Obsidian because you're like startups getting going. Uh, you've got COVID happening in the, in the midst of everything happening. And, you know, it, it's, got to, it's got to be even more difficult for you guys to kind of find your feet, adapt to the situation and do everything at the same time. But, but what have you seen? Have you seen anything or any, any particular behavior from your sales team that you think is, is you know, you, you could, you could almost mention it's a best practice or something that I would recommend people doing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an evolving story. We're all trying to figure out what the new economy and situation, you know, means for the, uh, the sales cycle that we're used to, because I think it's changing obviously. And so, you know, we're in a unique position and maybe there's some other folks too, but we're trying to create a new space. You know, we call it cloud detection and response CDR. And, um, you know, we're, we're very happy to see competitors and other people start using that same acronym. Kind of means it's catching on. Yeah. But essentially what we're trying to do is narrow the aperture and get very specific because I think that what I found is that there may not be as many opportunities popping up, but the ones that are engaged are very real. So the quantity's gone down, but the quality's increased. Yeah. And uh, one of the things we've done is like, you know, we've, gone right after the Zoom usage trend here and tried to protect Zoom for the enterprises. That seems to be able to provide our internal champions with the ability to surface it internally and you know bring it to their boss and that sort of thing. But um, so we're we're making some big bets. Zoom's one of them. The vertical, as you know, is FinTech. You know, I think it's really, really critical right now to again have as much focus and narrow the aperture as much as possible because, yep. you know, there's just, you know, one thing is, is like everybody's trying to do a happy hour via Zoom or something like that. You know, people are theoretically more available because they're locked online and on, on their desk. But I also think, um, you know, to Nathan's point, you know, if you stick your head out the window, you can hear people sending out Zoom happy hours and, uh, you know, alcohol kits and things like that. And I think that's already worn out. Yeah. So the challenge is, is now what do you do? And, um, uh, you know, a finger painting kit. I don't know what, what he sent out. So, <laughs> I mean, that, actually, that's a pretty good idea. But anyway, just kidding. But you should uh, keep an eye on this. I think it's an ever evolving. It's a new economy. It's a new reality. And I think it's yeah. going to be a new sales. So we're just keeping our eye on it and trying to monitor it and dial it every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, try to zoom, try to zoom Pictionary with, with alcohol. That works. <laughs> or cards, cards against humanity maybe that's fantastic that would actually, be good. that that would also be a good so we we had our first day back in the office literally a week or so ago and we we play card against humanity at lunchtime uh and and you know i did uh i did indeed with that game with some yeah, is laughing look at this that must I have been fun, I, so. I i managed to get some outrageous combination that's <laughs> some some would not appreciate but there you go um, but no, I, th I think, you know, one of the things that uh, we've done with you guys is, and, and what we realized through the conversation that we, we had with you, Bob, and your team is, you know, the, the target market are shrinking. We can't go after everyone like we used to do before. You know, if you look at, uh, obviously, the, the, the U.S. economy is quite large, but I'm French. So if you look at the French economy, if you look at the first 40 accounts in France, the CAC 40, you've got Air France, you've got Airbus, you've got Sodexo which are basically a company Apple, at service Apple, company, Accor Hotel, you know. So out of the CAC 40, that's already 10% that you can't address. I mean, those guys are in, in a terrible situation. But then I can go on. Peugeot, Renault, Citroën, you know, Valeo, which is supply chain of all those guys. So you end up with a CAC, current, CAC 40 that is basically a CAC 20. And I think this is why, you know, things need to adapt because it's almost like you can't address as much people as you could be for us. And, and I think it's important for sales. As we said, sales should spend more time addressing better what's left to address and marketing should support them in doing so. 
you know, and the story should be there. And, and then after, I think it's a conversation of getting into the accounts and despite the fact that you have less and despite the fact that you're under pressure to make numbers, it's yeah. to have a conversation of saying, well, look, tell me what you're trying to achieve from a business perspective. I'm going to tell you what we're about. I'm going to tell you about the value we can bring, but we need to see if there is a match or no match. But to your point also is that most of our clients, I'd say 90% of the people we work with, we've also had events with like CIO or online stuff that we've done with CIO, CISO, CTOs, you name it. So people who are making decisions and buying, everybody's saying the same thing. When a decision is made, the sales cycles are 50% the length of what they were before. It doesn't take nine months anymore to get things done. You know, when we have decided to do something, in three months' time, it's implemented. And, and I think that there is a sort of velocity in the sales cycle, in the decision-making process. But, you know, from my personal perspective, I do believe that sales needs to adapt in a more of a, you know, I, I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but that challenger sales methodology, that challenger sales method of going to the prospect and actually not trying to sell them something, but trying to help them, trying to understand what they are trying to achieve and say, you know what, you're not for me, like you would do on a date. You know, you could date with someone, she's extremely good looking or he's extremely good looking. So on the first side of, you know, it's, it's going to be a good one. And then you speak to them and there is nothing inside. And you'll be like, well, you know what, that's not for me. I don't really want to see you again. You won't force yourself, would you? And I think you should do the same in a sales cycle and not be scared of not finding another beautiful person that you're going to meet. Because, you know, it's, if you don't fall for that, this is probably not what matters to you. And, and the hugging the opportunity, trying to push people to do things, being insistent, won't give you anything in the sales cycle. It will actually irritate people. So, um, yep. so yeah, but that, 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 that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, goes without saying there's going to be have and have nots, winners and losers. I think it's going to be a pretty stark line uh, given this economy. You know, clearly, uh, I forgot the acronym, but it's uh, basically, you know, anything in tourism, hotels, accor, as you mentioned, hurting, right? Very much yeah. so. Um, but, you know, and I think overall, uh, not to be, you know, portend doom, but, you know, um, clearly, you know, the US of A is doing a really crappy job on this on the COVID thing. And, you know, we're kind of waiting for the next economic shoe to drop as a result of kind of, you know, what's going on out there. So it's, there, everybody's kind of in a wait and see to Didi's point earlier is cash preservation mode. And um, I've got a lot of resumes in my inbox. But anyway, it's, it's still kind of a wait and see mode for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've spoken, um, we've spoken there a lot, uh, I guess, about from a, a sales and marketing perspective. But Tim, on the on the channel side, Nathan was sharing some of his strategies, I guess, that have worked all the time for him, and some of the things they deployed more recently that have had short term impact, positive impact. But what, what are some of the the strategies that you've uh, utilised? I guess could be robust through, through through both the previous years but also this pandemic and actually have worked for you in multiple different companies or scenarios that you've that you've been working within channel. Yeah, I think just to play off a little bit of the, the last commentary, I, I absolutely agree that the history of the future is not yet fully written. But I think early in your your commentary about you know the CAC 40 and others shrinking actually it could be a favorable thing ultimately because how many times did we kid ourselves that we could actually hit every customer need, uh, segmentation wise, vertical wise, et cetera. So yep. some of that natural consolidation of the, the, the lovely, you know, partner potentials in the bar has gone down, you know, quite dramatically. And so it gives us a, a lot, you know, I think um, more target rich environment and just some of the things that Nathan was talking about, about, you know, being more specific and intentful on in how you reach out to those and getting some of these classical sales and marketing and internal disputes of what is a good MQL to SQL and having that bickering and fighting. I think there's a lot of really, forget the humanistic side and the economic side, I, I'm sobered all that being you know, potentially catastrophic, but there's always a silver lining, touch wood. I think this could be a, a, an, an amazing way for you know, B2B selling and marketing and GTM to actually learn a lot, right? And get out some of the laziness and maybe some of the habits that we've formed over the past 20 years of enterprise B2B selling. So as it, as it relates to the, the partner side of things, you know, I think some of the tried and true pieces that I've seen um, both as a direct seller and a, and a partner seller is one, know the customer, right? So if you're a vendor and you have a, you know, an intent or an indirect sales motion, 
far too often I find that the, the customer, which is right, is the end user. And that's where all of the cross-functional alignment you know, attention goes, the website, the branding, the DG campaigns, the order administration focus, et cetera. And then that partner side of the business is often you know, neglected. And depending upon what percentage of that business is already or you're intending to have come generated from your partners, which ultimately is what you're trying to get them to do, uh, looking at your partner community as the customer and having a separate dedicated motion that still blends in well with all the things you're trying to do of ease of doing business, of the narrative and the story uh, of the, the company's value prop of business objectives and technical differentiation, but really treating that for how a partner consumes and what language they need to ultimately become a extension of your sales force, which is, yeah. which is what we're trying to go do. So that, that's something that has been tried and true in, in, in times like these is, is even more uh, critical. We're finding is, is, you know, some of the commentary has been is, shoot, a lot of our, you know, our partner sellers, right, at the big resellers, at the regional boutique bars, at the global SIs, they're in the same spot that many of the customers are, which is I can't go see my customer. I'm sitting in front of my laptop. You know, my, my traditional things of selling that maybe have been, you know, uh, on-prem centric and maybe that nice to have, not a must have or being delayed. What are the things I can go sell now? And it, I think it creates an opportunity for maybe Bob, things like you guys are doing, creating a new, a new market, which is, hey, this isn't something that's oversaturated that next server or that next laptop or that next piece of software. And how do you then can you know have the right enablement, the right messaging, the right empowerment for that partner to allow them to take your message going forward? So mm-hmm. that knowing your your partner as a customer is a, is a critical element in times of frothiness and times of uh, you know glass half half empty as well. Yeah, can I comment we, we, on that? Of course. Yeah, I I think. Uh, you're touching on some great points there, Tim. And and I think that speaks to the n- changing nature of relationships where a customer is a partner and a partner is an advocate and not just looking at sort of these traditional, somewhat limited views of what a, a relationship and business interaction needs to look like. And, and a lot of that is being driven by cloud and by, you know, technology and artificial intelligence and automation and a lot of these tools that are giving us new insights and also the ability, I think, for organizations to conceive of new ways of doing business. And that's driven also by necessity. So just a, a couple of things that I'm seeing from the VC side is VCs are getting a lot more creative also and a lot more supportive with their early stage companies. They're making a lot more connections, but we're doing things like customer advocate roundtables where you have a customer that is in a room with multiple uh, vendors and or one vendor in with multiple customers and it's a round table to talk about a specific discussion topic. I'm also seeing stacking of solutions and doing demo days where you have multiple values that are blended into one architectural solution, one stack. So we're working right now, for example, on the remote stack and what, what goes into that, you know, what, what products and solutions can be really up optimistic and optimizing for your remote workforce management. A a lot of solutions right now are are focusing on, you know, deriving insights with artificial intelligence. And how do you get your sales teams to become better at what they do by aggregating all of the conversations that every seller's had with every customer and getting insights from those, from solutions, you know, like Gong and Clary. And we have another one called SetSale that's a spiff and enhancing solution. So elevating the conversation by using tools and getting more to the heart of what that customer needs at that time. I think that's really, you know, synthesizing what's going on in the market and then not limiting the conversation with a single entity and maybe relooking at your supply chain and your workforce and your customer base and all your constituencies and and trying to find opportunities that exceed what what would be the sort of traditional relationship. Yeah. I know that was a lot, but those were yeah, all it makes sense that came up during the conversation. Yeah, I think it will make sense, and you know, it's it's very very valuable insight from your side, Pat. You know, you you, you portrait you as someone who's got a, a tremendous amount of experience on both sides of the Atlantic. I know that you've been direct sales, lots of channel relationship as well. What are the do and don'ts, or, or, or what would be, you know, if you had 
one thing to say in terms of best practice that you see in, in one specific region or differences. I mean, basically, I just want to open up to you to get a bit of your insight on the conversation so far. I know that you kind of jump on, on, on the conversation as we go, but I want to give you a platform to kind of, of share your experience. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks Aurelian. Uh, first of all, uh, I just wanted to say hello to Didi. Um, I know uh, Peter Wagner uh, very well. He was on my board at Topspin. Uh, so please say hello when you, uh, when you talk to him. Um, He's amazing. Uh, so, um, yeah, 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 definitely so. So one thing I want to do, uh, I want to comment on is um, I think all the rules of the last, you know, decade or so of how you build businesses in different geographies and, and whatnot uh, are being tested right now. And I don't think they're going to be the same when we come out of this. I'm very interested to see how, how employers act, our employers and, and other companies and, and whatnot because they've squeezed more productivity out of us than they ever got before, right? I mean, I'm sure all of you guys all have the same, you know, kind of calendar that I do. I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the day, I'm, I live on the West Coast, but, you know, my day typically starts at seven. I've got my first, first call at seven, and it's basically through the day until about 12 hours later. And uh, when, when it's time to shut it down and Go, you know, go, um, uh, you know, go have a meal and and uh, and some family time, and then and then you've got to catch up with the stuff that you couldn't get to during the day because you're in meetings all day. So I mean, we're you know, our our um, our employers are getting more out of us when it when this thing finally does, you know, when when the, the whole COVID uh, scenario does flatten out, which it will eventually at some stage, somehow it'll flatten out, whether it's uh, whether it's from a um, you know uh, a vaccine or you know, just, um, uh, you know, uh, finally, uh, uh, countries getting it right as far as when, when and how and how deeply to lock down, but it will flatten out. And at that point in time, will, you know, will the things that, that we've learned from how to do business in a different way, will they still be there? Will we capitalize on them? Or will we go back to the old ways, right? Some of our, you know, some of our less uh, productive uh, habits, right? You know, a lot of car travel between meetings and things like that, that, yeah, there was, there was a, you know, dead time, right? But that resulted in more face-to-face stuff. I think we've proven that we can do business this way. And it isn't, it isn't optimal, but it's possible. And you can make the most out of it. And I think that those are things that are being, that are being uh, proven out. The question is whether or not they'll remain after we, you know, after, uh, after things flatten out a bit. So I think my first comment uh, really is, I don't, you know, um, uh, I don't really know that the things that, that were proven out over the last 10 years or the last four years that we've known each other when I was working in, in, uh, in international markets for my previous company and spending a lot of time uh, in London and a lot of time in, in Australia and a few other places. I, I don't know that, um, I don't know that uh, you know, the, the techniques that we use then would, will, will necessarily be as effective uh, when we come out of this. So I think we had... I, you know, one thing, um, one thing that I do believe is that, you know, in any kind of uh, tech business, flexibility is the most important thing, right? And, um, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I kind of believe that, you know, shit always goes sideways. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is going to happen. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're busy, you know, no matter how well you plan, your business is going to go sideways. Because the economy is going to change, or the technology landscape is going to change, or the competitive environment is going to change, or um, or or you're going to have some some you know uh, cataclysm with your own technology, or one of your big uh, competitors will and it'll shake up the entire market. And here we have the exact evidence of that, right? Only all rolled into one. So, you know, I think that uh, the 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 most important thing that companies can do, regardless of whether it's you know, ones that have a U.S. focus, ones that have a focus in other theaters or that are global is you have to constantly challenge your assumptions about what are the critical things that you did to build your company. Like, what was that one? What was that fundamental problem that you set out to solve? Is it still fundamental? You have to challenge those assumptions. And, and if that still holds, then you have to go to the next stage, which is, who am I solving this for? Has that changed now? And then you have to go to the next one, which is, the person within that company that would be a hero if I solved this problem six months ago, is he still the guy, right? And how do I package my product so that it can be consumed in this new world, right? You've got to take it all the way down. And at the end of, at the end of that chain is how do I build the company to support that chain? Because you can't put the company in the middle or at the front because 
then when the market changes, the company thrashes, right? It's just like you kind of pull that chain tight. That you know, that's how that's how startup companies have to pivot many, many times is because they take the company and they stick it too close to the fundamental problem. The company needs to be built at the end of that chain. It needs to be able to support all of those pieces. But you have to go back to the assumptions, right? Did you know did did, did the assumptions did the assumptions hold? Do they hold even in this this current time frame? And uh, for my current company, Fortanix, which is a cybersecurity company focused on uh, encrypting in a different way than we've encrypted before. We're focused on encrypting data in use. There's really only two ways to encrypt data when it's at use. And one of them is sort of experimental and the other one is the way we do it, uh, which is based on uh, an underlying Intel technology. But you know, the fact of the matter is you could always encrypt stuff at rest in emotion, but now you have to protect stuff at use in, in use because that's where the bad guys have been coming and getting your data. Um, so that, that fundamental uh, assumption that that was going to be a critical need in the industry is still there, right? I mean, we, but we had to go back and we had to challenge that. And then we had to challenge how do we consume it? Yeah. So um, I think that, you know, regardless of the theater, those are, those are things that you, you've, got to, um, you've got to do. Yeah, that makes sense. But fortunately, time flies by when you are having fun. And we're getting to the end of the hour, so uh, we, I'm, I'm sure that all of you guys have uh, other meetings, some uh, uh, invisible webinar to run, some uh, clients to sell stuff to, etc., etc. So I just wanted to thank you all for your time today. I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to come in and share some of your thoughts with us. Really enjoyed the conversation. I could have gone for another week of that conversation. I just love it. <laughs> uh, and, and then we, we, we picked you guys because we know that you're all passionate about your subject. So, uh, so yeah, we could have gone on for much, much longer. We, we will share all your contact details with, uh, when we publish the podcast. So, uh, it may be the fact that people want to get in touch with you to, to, to discuss further and, and, and share your thoughts or engage around your solutions or whatever. Uh, and we will also produce, uh, a, a blog post but uh, once again I wanted to thank you all for your time today it was an absolute absolute pleasure to have you on the show thank you Jason thank you, I'll guys. be seeing you thank you thanks thank you. guys Perfect. thank you thank you guys thanks so much Every, it was very everybody good. stay safe <laughs> stay safe guys bye 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 Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide while the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.